You are listening to a podcast from The National. Welcome to The National's Business Extra podcast from our newsroom in Abu Dhabi. I'm Mustafa Al-Rawi, Assistant Editor-in-Chief. Weekly, we provide insight and additional analysis on the biggest business, economic and finance stories affecting us here, as well as the wider region and the world. Now, on Monday, The National reported that the Abu Dhabi National Oil Company is taking a new approach as it more actively manages its portfolio of assets and forms new partnerships. That is expected to unlock value, create and grow revenue streams and foster entrepreneurship within the organization as well as in the broader economy. The corporate strategy also includes the consideration of the public flotation of shares in select service business units. With me is the National Senior Energy Correspondent, Anthony McCauley, who's been following the Adnoc transformation story for over a year. Tony, welcome. Hi, Mustafa. Uh, which part of Adnoc's new strategy stands out most for you? Well, the uh, what was bound to uh, capture the imagination was the IPO. You know, as soon as people saw IPO, they started to uh, think of it in terms of what Aramco has been up to. Um, but uh, on second glance, the IPO is going to be a much smaller scale initially. They're going to IPO the uh, the gas stations, basically. Um, and that uh, has the advantage of, um, I, think, I think basically if you contrast the two, if you contrast Aramco and Adnoc approaches, as we reported uh, Daniel Jurgen commenting after they announced this deal, uh, Adnoc has got this long history of uh, deep partnerships with uh, with f- foreign firms, um, and that's worked well for them. Now, what they're embarking on, uh, like a lot of other NOCs, is a program where they're trying to unlock value in many, many different ways. The Aramco IPO can be characterized as like a big bang, um, and it's in the context of Saudi Arabia's need to really kickstart the uh, uh, economy towards more diversification, towards more entrepreneurship, really kickstart a kind of culture of that there. That already exists in Abu Dhabi, so they don't have the same sort of imperatives. Um, so what they're doing is, uh, what Adnoc is doing, the leadership, is they're looking right across the organizations at a lot of different types of things they can do to unlock that value. And in a way, it's a more advantageous position to be. They don't have to be as dramatic. They're not running in, you know, they won't run into the same kind of... Uh, obstacles that we've seen people talk about with the Aramco IPO. So the the first IPO that they're talking about here may be a 14 billion valuation for for the uh, the petrol stations. Hopefully the the idea is that'll capture the imagination of the uh, the local public here like the old uh, uh, privatizations, you know, which which uh, kicked off in the 80s in, in Britain and then went around the world and fostered a lot of, uh, you know, uh, culture of uh, individual share ownership. I think they want to get a bit of that into this so that they can uh, help uh, bolster the, the local capital markets, which is another uh, part of the Abu Dhabi agenda. So that's, that's, I mean, there are many, many interesting aspects to what Adnoc is, is getting up to. Um, that's, that's the one that's really captured the, the headlines, captured the imagination in the first couple of days of, uh, you know, people absorbing what they mean by this new partnership. Um, at a more industrial level, you know, kind of behind the, the initial headlines, there's probably even bigger change to come. You know, they haven't talked about some of the operated, the, the smaller operating companies that they might identify for, for IPO. Um, 
that probably wouldn't be the type of thing that you would sell to the public. They uh, and they may not even IPO them. They may package, for example, the oil services uh, operating companies NDC and Yasat. Uh, they may look look at putting those together, bringing in you know one of these international, well-known international uh, oil service giants like uh, a Schlumberger or a, a Baker Hughes, GE Baker Hughes, as it is now, uh, and getting those guys to joint venture with the company, bring in technology, you know, turn it into something a bit more dynamic than it is now. Technology transfer, skills transfer, those are the, the big things that they, they want to uh, to achieve as well as extracting more uh, money out of the organization, making it more efficient and more dynamic. I mean, this is part of a, a continuity, really, from when Sultan al-Jabra, the group chief executive, took over in April last year. He's been transforming the company, making it much more like a modern energy company performance driven streamlined efficiencies looking to use the scale to use the geographical location the stability of abu dhabi but the new partnerships are new in the sense that it also includes areas of the group that haven't been open to partnerships before like storage for uh, products and pipelines um, as well as uh, drilling and other areas that you know maybe will entice a different kind of investor you know, you're talking about Schlumberger on the on the sort of production side, but maybe on the storage and the pipelines, it might be an infrastructure specialist. Yeah, that was identified. Pension funds, infrastructure specialists. He talked about um, uh, like trading companies, like maybe a Glencore in which uh, Abu Dhabi Inc. through Mubadala um, has a share. Um, I I think I think what for me the way the interesting way to look at this is uh, this you know the national oil companies in general have been these sort of cash cows for the for their economies for for decades. Some of them are run better than others. Adnoc is one of the you know has always been considered to be one of the better ones. Not particularly open apart from those those long uh, you know many decade long uh, partnerships that they had. So the the new uh, chief executive comes in at the beginning of last year. Just imagine now in this kind of new environment uh, where there's a lot more demanded of these companies. Uh, he has a 55,000-person bureaucracy, and he has to think, well, how do I turn this into a modern uh, oil company? Now, what's the next next move? Uh, so what, what he really And, and the new environment we're talking about is sort of low oil prices compared to before. Low oil prices and, you know, lower for longer is the mantra in the industry. So, um, and also, you know, as, as we uh, quoted uh, Paul Navratil, um, the head of oil and gas at uh, Ernst & Young in Abu Dhabi here, commenting on, on Adnoc's new initiative. You know, now there's, uh, the technological horizon really seems to be a lot closer than, than it did before. So, you know, you're, you're, you're really looking at, um, uh, not only a lower for longer oil price environment, but but a probably a much more a much more quick tra- a quicker transition to um, to uh, you know a declining oil world or at least a declining f- fuel transport world. So they have to think more about petrochemicals. They have to think more about gas, which they used to just burn off as waste. Now it's like you know super valuable. Uh, both um, for as a power source and for uh, and, and demands, demands rising for petrochemicals, refined products, gas, particularly in China and India and places like that. Exactly, there's still demand is rising for for uh, transport fuels, but you know in in the emerging economies and it's starting to plateau. It's declining in some of the older advanced economies, Japan, totally plateaued in in the U.S. and so on. So they're they're you know you have to look out. These these national oil companies have to look out two three decades and think where they're going to be then. 
And that's why there's big, you, you can see it right across the board. And it was mentioned by uh, uh, Amin Nasser in Istanbul on Monday. The Aramco chief executive. The Aramco chief executive, um, you know, um, explicitly, you know, and, then, and they've been saying it more and more explicitly that the future for their company is to get much more into petrochemicals, much more advanced, complex investments downstream, much more balanced with their commodity market. So they want to become, you know, not a commodity producer as as of old. I mean, they've already made some inroads in, in, on this front. They want to be, you know, a fully integrated company with uh, with the potential to keep changing itself, more like an Exxon Mobil, or or whatever they may even look like. They may not even look anything like themselves in two or three decades from now. So that's the future that they're trying to uh, prepare themselves for now. Um, which means, you know, different ad, types of skills ad, for ad employees. Ad NOC and other NOCs are preparing themselves. The smarter NOCs, yeah. yeah. Not all the NOCs. The smarter NOCs are doing that, and, and they're doing it with an increased urgency. So what one of the, th you know, going back to when, when uh, the new chief executive, uh, Sultan Al-Jaber, comes in at the beginning of last year, what he wants to do is to find, uh, do a number of things, of course, and he needs to do them quickly. But uh, what he wants to do is to create a culture in that organization that kind of breaks it up so people can identify much more with business units and frees up all the young talent to, you know, come with business ideas, with technological ideas, you know, new patents, the whole range of things. That's the point of what he's doing organizationally is to get that into the organization get, you know, new businessmen emerging, uh, breaking out on their own and starting their own businesses. Maybe, you know, uh, they'll be the guys to take over the companies that they may sell off down the road. You know? Tony McCauley, the Nationals Energy Correspondent. Thanks for being with us. I hope you're going to be a regular guest sure. on, the, on the podcast. Of course. Good. Thanks, Tony. Thanks. Staying with sort of an entrepreneurial topic, if you like, uh, millennials, the generation born around 1984 onwards. The subject of much discussion, particularly how to motivate them in the workplace, what do they want? An enigma of a generation, if popular wisdom is to be believed. To give you a flavor of the discourse, here is best-selling author Simon Sinek explaining the problem. Millennials as a generation, which is a group of people who were born approximately uh, 1984 and after, um, uh, are tough to manage and they're accused of being entitled and narcissistic and self-interested unfocused lazy <laughs> but entitled is the big one and uh, and because they confound leadership so much what's happening is leaders are asking the Millennials what do you want and Millennials are saying we want to work in a place with purpose love that um, we want to make an impact, you know, whatever that means. Um, uh, we want free food and bean bags. Uh, and so somebody articulates some sort of purpose. There's lots of free food and there's bean bags. And yet, for some reason, they are still not happy. And that's because um, you, the, they're missing, there's, there's, a, there's a missing piece. Um, what I've learned is that there, I can break it down into four pieces. Right? There are four, four things, four characteristics. One is parenting, the other one is uh, technology, the third is impatience, and the fourth is environment. That was uh, Simon Sinek, uh, an excerpt from uh, the show Inside Quest, which was posted on YouTube. Uh, an article in The National today uh, is a lot kinder on millennials, or at least to those living in the UAE. A report from UBS about attitudes to wealth 
says that those millennials in the Middle East are more ambitious than their global peers. The, the, the adjectives were hardworking, entrepreneurial, big networkers, according to the UBS report. Um, I, I thought we should talk to a millennial. So with me in the studio is uh, Shakina Coutinho. How are you? Thanks for coming. I'm great. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So to qualify, what year were you born? 1993. Okay. And it's your birthday tomorrow. Yes. Happy birthday for thank tomorrow. You, thank and you. how old would you be? 24. So you're right in the sweet spot yes. of, of what Simon Sinek and other people were talking about and UBS talking about millennials. You are a millennial. Yes. We can we can confirm that. So I guess I'd like to start by asking you, you know, how do you feel about your career at the moment in terms of what you want and and what you think you're achieving at the moment? In terms of my career, I think I'm one of the actually the lucky millennials who have actually graduated and gone into a career path that they wanted to get into. I can't, I can't speak for everyone else, but that in itself kind of motivated me and kind of framed where I wanted, what I want to do and where I want to be. Um, because I got into my field of work early on after graduating. And um, where I see myself, I see myself growing in a digital industry, not because I am a millennial and because I'm good with digital things, but it does help. So you grew up in the UAE, uh, and this report by UBS says that there are differences between uh, millennials in the Middle East or the UAE versus millennials elsewhere. Um, you know, in your experience mixing with your with your fellow millennials, um, do you feel there is a difference uh, because you you grew up in the UAE or because you're living in the UAE? Um, I definitely have a different intake in this because I'm half Filipino, half Portuguese, and my step family actually is Emirati, and I've studied in London, so. I have seen the differences between different kinds of millennials. And I do feel millennials here in the UAE, I do say that they're a bit more ambitious because the country itself has incubators to support millennials. I think that's why people here are much more hardworking, in a sense, towards uh, in comparison to other millennials. You find flat six labs and you find different youth initiatives that want to gather millennials together and kind of use them as a sponge and let them soak in all that knowledge. While in other countries, they don't exactly have those that many opportunities. Therefore, when they do something by themselves, they feel more entitled in a sense, like, oh, I did this, I should get recognition. While here, people want that. They're, they're trying to foster millennials because they do see them as the future. So we, we, we heard that clip from Simon mm -hmm. Sinek, and th th it's actually from a show, Inside Quest, uh, presented by Tom Beaulieu. And it caused a real controversy because uh, at first it was like, wow, this guy is articulating like the entire issue with a generation. But then later on, there was a bit of a backlash saying he's picking on millennials. And, and why all this focus on millennials now? Suddenly, like it's almost like a different species. But um, the way the UBS report uh, speaks about it is they, they're actually, it's actually quite positive. So I'm a little confused, um, you know, in, in, in terms of understanding what, you know, I, I think maybe that's the point. You can't really speak for a generation. Um, but certainly, you know, as you as a representative voice of somebody of your age and your background here in the UAE, uh, do you think your attitudes to wealth are different from your your parents or your your the, the older people that you work with, for example? Do you do you want to be rich or do you even not even think about that? To be honest, I think we do kind of have different opinions comparing to older generations because we don't have that many responsibilities yet. In a sense, especially living in the UAE, most people they do live with their families, so they don't really have to think about it yet. Oh, we. 
Now, all we care about, what I'm talking from my group of friends, is that we're able to sustain ourselves. We don't really think about, oh, we need to get rich. We're more invested in our personal development. I know a lot of friends who choose to be unemployed and work as freelancers knowing that they're comfortable with themselves and they're benefiting themselves as opposed to working in an environment, getting a set salary. And both choices are fine. There's different kinds of millennials who do A and there's millennials who do B. And also cultural upbringing is a big part of um, dictating what kind of millennial you are. If you're from a certain region, you don't really fit into the mainstream category of millennials. You find a lot of people who want to work, who don't feel that they're entitled, who just go through the status quo like older generations. So I think it's, as I said, you can't, I can't talk for most population, but I have seen, with, as I said, with my cultural background, I can't see the difference between different cultures of millennials. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And it, it's great to hear it from you, uh, Chikina, because, um, you know, we, we hear a lot of stuff in the media. And to be honest, a lot of the stuff from the media is not coming from your generation, but it's coming from people who are older, like myself. And perhaps that's where some of the communication gap is. But certainly, eventually, um, as you quite rightly said, because you're young, your attitudes are slightly different. But can you, if, if you kind of project yourself to when you're 40, if that's even possible for, for you to think about, um, in do you think that your attitudes will change? Do you think that you will, that you will uh, approach a, a more of a viewpoint that your parents might have now in terms of where your career should be? Because it seems like you're saying satisfaction or feeling like you're doing something worthwhile is more important than reward at this stage mm -hmm. in terms of fi financial reward, that is. Is that fair? Again, I don't think it's right to say fair or unfair because, again, different people, different personalities. Personally, I have been brought up in the sense where I do need to balance between financial stability and my personal growth. And that's just me. I do, I personally value having um, sustainability in terms of my financial life, especially living in the UAE where everything's moving. It's very competitive, especially amongst us millennials. There's a lot of competition between us and people don't realize how stressful it is between millennials, how older generations are always kind of picking on us, not realizing there's so much going in between. And you, when you say competition, is it competition for, for what, without being superficial? Is it for who has the best devices or, or, or something else? Um, it's more than that. Um, it starts with who has the best devices. And then there's who has the best job, who has the most comfortable job, who has the most paying job. But then we'll go back, oh, we don't need that job. We're comfortable where we are. We have the nomad, digital, nomad kind of lifestyle. So there's a lot of contradictions between us. And people don't realize that as well. Um, so you, as a generation, you feel like you're still trying to find your your place. You're trying to still find your balance. That there are there, there There is a little bit of contradiction and conflict going on that from the outside, it's not clear. And it seems like all of you know kind of figure out have figured out what you want which mm -hmm. isn't the case which kind of comes back to what simon sinek was saying was that um you know th there's three or four different areas where you know you want to make an impact but maybe it's not happening fast enough and then that's where the confusion sets in um i don't think it's about wanting to make an impact and not ha it happening fast enough i think it's about because there's so much happening right now we don't know which one to choose or 
which path to go because we have so many options, especially in this digital age. There are so many routes we can take. And it's not about trying to get there quicker. It's about which is the more logical step to take. Because there's people don't also realize there's so much pressure on us from older generations like, oh, millennials have all of this. Why are they still messing up? That's why we're confused because we have so many options in front of us that if we pick one, we feel like we're going to get more hate. So we spend more time trying to figure out the right path, if that makes sense. It, it does. And, and, and it, it's a perspective that perhaps, you know, needs to be told because it, it can seem like there's an entitlement, as, as the, the clip earlier mentioned. But really, perhaps it's not that, but perhaps you're in a different landscape that you're the first generation to really experience that landscape. I don't think it's about entitlement as well. I think it's because, again, going back to what I was saying previously, we have a lot of options. You can become an entrepreneur in a second. Just start up an online business. You're good at making jewelry. You can sell your jewelry online. And I think it's not about wanting acceptance from people, but just that recognition that, we're doing something like we're not waiting for someone to hand us like a silver spoon. We are actually trying to make something with the skills we have. It's not about entitlement. It's about we just want to be proactive. And some people might think of it as a wrong way because it's a wrong image because, again, two different markets, two different generations, two different ways of things, seeing things, which we don't really blame older people, but we just would want less like hate on us because we are trying and we don't really care what other people say to be very honest we're doing this for ourselves Shaklina Coutinho thank you so much for joining us we really loved having you thanks for being with us I'm Mustafa Rawi join us again next week for the Business Extra podcast 